Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. Um, my guest today is science fiction author Yoon Ha Lee, and we're going to be talking about uh, the Machineries of Empire series and Revenant Gun, the newest book there, and uh, in general, uh, the inspirations for Yoon to create these books and you know, a bunch more questions. So, Yoon, how are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, before we get started, tell me a little bit about your background. You know, what have you always been a writer? What got you into it? You know, tell me a little bit about yourself. I actually got into writing because my third grade teacher really wanted to push creative writing. And he did this by dressing up as a superhero called Story Man. So he would come in once a week in the spandex outfit from God knows where and teach us about writing. And up until that point, I thought that books just sort of magically fell into the library out of the sky. I had no concept that books were made by people. And when I learned that human beings wrote books, I said to myself, well, I'm a human being, so I could write a book too. And I decided that I wanted to be a writer. There you go. Yeah, that's cool. So you decided this at a pretty early age, it sounds like. Yeah. Okay. So what what was the path that took you from... You know, was it your first book you ever wrote that became a hit, or was it like a long path for you to uh, to get to this point? Oh, gosh, no. Um, I wrote my first novel in middle school. It took me three years, and it was really terrible. It does not exist anymore, and that is probably a good thing for humanity. But um, And then I wrote a couple more novels in, like, high school. I spent 10 years writing one, you know, when I started in college, and... I I just really had to write the bad novels before I learned how to write a an okay one, I guess. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, what do you feel like you're better at? Like, what makes your stories better now? You know, the market's telling you they like them. You know, the books are doing really well. What, like, what do you think is the difference? Um, I think I learned how to write better characters, and I also learned how to focus on um, prose and world building. When I started out writing, my goal was to write very clear, sort of inoffensive prose. And then I discovered Patricia McKillop and Roger Zelazny, who are two very different writers. But what they have in common is that both of them have this love of beautiful language. And I discovered that Mm. since stories are told in words, words are the medium, if you make the language beautiful as well, that's something that can really enhance a story. Is there any, you know, like, uh, can you think of even one sentence or a phrase that, you know, you thought was like particularly beautiful or striking that really sticks out at you? Oh, do you know uh, Greer Eileen Gilman's uh, Moonwise fantasy novel? I don't have a copy of the book anymore, but there's this line where these two women are running away from a minotaur. They're in a labyrinth, and it says he was ever before them at the turning dark marrow in a maze of bone. It was something like that. I've never forgotten the the feeling oh. of wonder that line struck in me. I need to get another copy of that book. Yeah. yeah. No, I figured the uh, the lines like that would be very memorable and you wouldn't forget them. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I, I can appreciate too when I hear like a great speaker 
or someone that just uses words in a certain way or phrases and you, it really strikes you, you know, so that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Huh. So what, what was the, um, the first book you wrote that was a, a big hit and, you know, what was, it, what was the process like? Uh, I guess it was Nine Fox Gambit, which was my first published novel. I had a short story collection before that, but story collections don't tend to sell as well. I think part of the thing that made it memorable was I had an unusual world. It's space opera, but it's really a magic system where the laws of physics warp based on what calendar you follow. And this is something that had sort of a consensus reality fantasy twist to it. And that was less common than the more typical, I don't know, David Drake's Hammer Slammers kind of military science fiction, which is more realistic and gritty in feel. I think the other thing that appealed to readers was that I had the sort of game of cat and mouse between my uh, heroine and the general who is her advisor. He's undead. He's a ghost who is there to help her take back the star fortress from heretics but he also is a mass murderer so she never knows if his advice is going to help her or if he's going to use it against you know he's going to work against her in some subtle or tricky way and i think readers uh tended to enjoy that sort of game of cat and mouse oh okay so yeah have you looked at comments on your books and uh Oh, I do? probably okay. shouldn't, yeah. but I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what does it feel like? Do you, you're like, when you look at them or, uh, you know, do you enjoy reading the comments or is it a roller coaster of emotion for you? It's kind of a roller coaster. And of course, every reader wants something different from their books. We're all, you know, we all have different tastes in reading. So there is no such thing as a book that will appeal to every reader. And I get that. But of course, this book is something that I spent a lot of time on and I put a lot of myself into. So it it is kind of a roller coaster when I see a comment from someone who for whom the book didn't work. And then there are the times when I read a review and someone really gets the book and it really worked for them. And that's that's kind of happy making. So, you know. Yeah, that's that's very cool. Um, You feel like your books are uh, different. I mean, you know, it seems really hard to me to stand out. I mean, there's so much I mean, there's so much of everything, but there's tons of science fiction. You know, how did you how did you stand out? How did you know, did you do a lot of marketing for these books or? Was it just that the story got in the hands of the right people that spread the word? Or how do you think this uh, became a success? I think part of it was that I spent 17 years writing short fiction before I broke into novels. So people who were familiar with my short stories and sort of the um, unusual world building that I like to do were interested in seeing what I might do at the novel level. Uh, I also lucked out with Solaris, my publisher, who really did a lot to market the book and try to try to get it into the hands of people who are interested in it. And then after that, it seemed to be just word of mouth. You know, mm. pe- some people said that they liked the world building. Some people found it intimidating. But I I think it's true what they say that it's better to be it's better for people to have a strong opinion about your book than to not find it, to, to find it bland. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, again, it's more nail biting if some people love it, some people hate it, but uh, better than that than apathy or no reaction. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. So what's, um, what do you find 
the most joyful about writing and what's what's really tough to you is the world building fun and easy or is like the character development fun or you know what's hard for you and what's easy in your writing for me the world building is the easy part i like reading a lot of nonfiction. i have books in my house about military history and art history and linguistics and mathematics and all sorts of things so the world building is really joyful for me what i struggle with is characterization and that's actually kind of tough because most readers want to really relate to the characters, you know, because they're going through the book through the character's eyes. So mm. that's the part that you really have to nail. I find that most readers will forgive a little bit of shaky world building if they really dig the characters, but maybe not so much the other way around. So that's something I'm trying to work on. Yeah, and the characters, do you find that even if... um I mean, are, is it necessary for people to have characters they love and characters they hate? I mean, is the same level of emotion necessary in terms of the characters, too, in order for a book to be successful, do you think? I think it helps to have a wide variety of characters because, for example, some people are really into trickster characters. Some people are really into lawful good characters. Some people like, I don't know very chaotic characters. So if you have a wide variety of characters, you're more likely to find some character that appeals to a given specific uh, reader. The other thing is, of course, I ended up with a very morally gray cast of characters, including a number of villains. And I've seen people who really hate some of my villains, and I'm sitting here going, yes, that's exactly how you're supposed to feel about them, because they are terrible uh. people. <laughs> That's true, yeah. I always enjoy books where, you know, you get into it and then you feel really sad when it's over, like you lost a friend, you know? Yeah. Those are the books that I, I, I don't like feeling that way, but those are the books that I really enjoy. You know, you just, uh, they leave you with like, man, I wish there was more, you know? Yeah, so. I get the same feeling too when I read. Um, what, I don't know if you've, you know, what's your commentary on like some, um, maybe some mainstream sci-fi books or fantasy books that you've uh you have like real strong opinions about i just i'd just be interested to hear like uh i don't know like if you read like the lord of the rings and the hobbit if you have any opinions on that or if there's any more like contemporary stuff that you feel super strongly about gosh so my thing with lord of the rings and tolkien in general is that tolkien is brilliant i guess was since he's dead um tolkien was brilliant and he has been inestimably important in the genre, but I found it really difficult to relate to Lord of the Rings. And I think part of it was that it came from a sort of a cultural context that was so different from what I grew up with. I mean, I'm Korean American and I spent nine years of my childhood in South Korea. So when he's talking about, um, sort of a lot of this Christian imagery, a lot of the landscape that is based on the landscape of England, I found it very mm. difficult to relate to it. And sense, that's yeah. part of the joy of science fiction and fantasy is that it can show you a world that is different from what you what is familiar to you. But when I read that in middle school, it was just too big of a leap. I guess I should go back and try mm. it again. Well, I'm bringing, I'm bringing that up in particular because I mean, his world building was like insane, you know, in my yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, languages and all that stuff. And then, you know, the characters. Yeah. But uh, the world building was like, you know, like, I don't know, unbelievable. So any any other authors out there that you think are like uh, savants 
in terms of either characters or world building or some other aspect of the writing? You know, he's better known for children's than I guess sort of YA books, but Lloyd Alexander, uh, my favorite of his books were the Westmark trilogy. And I actually think the second book in the trilogy, The Kestrel, is one of the best war novels in the English language. I just can't get over how good it is. I know he's better known for the, um, the Black Cauldron books, but I've always felt that the Westmark books were sort of underrated. Okay. And, you know, your writing is, is pretty much all science fiction. Have you thought about writing nonfiction or is it uh, just something that's not exciting to you? Or Oh, I mean, I would love to write nonfiction, but I'm not sure how, you know, it's so strange because I've been a writer for a number of years, but I've never really investigated how that process works because I'm under the impression that it works very differently to the fiction side of things. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you have to do a lot of research for your novels or, I mean, like, for me, it's the opposite. I wonder how, how you write a fiction novel and come up with these worlds and all this stuff. Like, it's, I would guess it takes a lot of time and like, what's the thought process? How do you, how do you build this stuff and where does it come from? You know? You know, I think part of it is that I've always loved nonfiction. I've been reading nonfiction since I was a small child and my house is full of the stuff. So part of it is that I have the sort of mental library of things that I know about the world from reading all these books or internet articles or talking to people with interesting jobs. Um, And sort of that all feeds my writing. But also when I was writing the Machineries books, since it's military space opera, it wasn't going to be, you know, it's not going to be a totally gritty, realistic depiction of the military. But I wanted to have a general sense of how things worked. So I did end up reading a lot of military history books, um, army manuals, marine manuals counterinsurgency things yeah um there was a lot of fascinating material and i'm just sorry i couldn't you know acknowledge more of it in what i did what was your impression of reading all the military related things i discovered and i'm sure this is no surprise to people who know more military history than i do but there there is there are a lot of snafus like all these all these plans that are laid waste because somebody, you know, somebody drops the ball somewhere or there's a miscommunication or someone ends up in the wrong place or turns the wrong direction. There was this one World War One um, report in, I think it was infantry in battle, FMFRP 12-2. And it's describing two Turkish uh, army units, and they were trying to chase the enemy, and it turned out that they were chasing each other in a circle, and each <laughs> unit thought it was pursuing the enemy because of all the confusion <laughs> on the battlefield. So you find out about things like this and go, wow, you know, in books we have plans that, you know, go these incredibly daring, risky plans that go off without a hitch, and I'm sure that happens, but then you have Things like the two Turkish units chasing each other in a circle because they have no idea who each other is. Yeah, huh? That's crazy. Um, yeah. What about your uh, your upbringing? You said you lived in Korea for nine years, and um, how do you think that changes how you write versus other authors? Like, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Um, you know, the ethnicity of a lot of uh, science fiction authors, for instance. I don't know if you know, but I would guess you're probably different than most. I mean. 
how do you feel that this is like uh, informed how you write or changed how you write? You know, up until a certain point, I was writing stories that were very European or Western in focus because that was what I grew up reading. I would grow up reading these, you know, like David Edding's Belgariad series uh, or mm-hmm. other fantasy series that were that were very Western. And then I came to the realization that I don't have that background. I mean, I've read a lot of the books, but I've lived in South Korea. The other half was in Texas, which I guess I could also explore in fiction. And I have a cultural background that is not commonly represented in current science fiction. And I said to myself, well, why don't I write science fiction and fantasy that has Korean or East Asian elements? And I'm seeing a lot more of that in science fiction and fantasy today, that it's more diverse than it used to be. And that that makes me really happy because it means more types of stories get told and more people see themselves represented in those stories. What's different about the way that uh, the things that you put in the books versus the traditional science fiction? I don't know. It's probably a hard question, but I don't know. What are some things unique to your culture you think that you put in there? I think um, one of the things that's really big in Korean culture is the way it implements Confucianism. So it's very hierarchical. Um, it's also a culture that is very community oriented. It's not as individualistic. I know this is sort of getting into generalities, but American Americans are seen as very individualistic and sometimes almost in a selfish way by Koreans, whereas in Korea, you have to think of your family, you have to think of your community. It's it's sort of almost a village culture is where it derives hmm. from. Yeah. So are the characters in your novels like that? Do they, do, you know, if someone read it that was, uh, you know, Korean, would they say, hmm, I can tell that a Korean person wrote this? Or is it, you know, like, like how far have you I chosen they, to take it? I think it's not um, to an exaggerated degree, but I think they would see those elements. My dad actually tried to read Nine Fox Gambit, which was hilarious because my dad is not a science fiction reader. And English is a second language for him. But he said, um, well, the first thing he said was, Yunha, your book is incomprehensible. (laughs) But the the second thing he said was that um, he could tell what the Korean elements were in the book, that he could he could see them coming through. And so I guess I'm proud um, of you for that, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I thought it was hilarious that he was sitting there trying to read a science fiction book when he doesn't, you know, he doesn't follow science fiction in general, and American science fiction in particular. So I was just really happy that he'd even made the effort. Yeah, that's really cool. Very interesting. Have you had comments from readers where they say something similar? Um, you know, I have had readers suggest that they see some of the, for example, some of the symbolism. Nine Fox Gambit gets its title from the Kumiho, which is Korean for nine, nine-tailed fox. It's sort of a trickster fox spirit, which is, a, it's very, it's very similar to the Japanese Kitsune, which I think more people are familiar with in the West. And so people will see elements of, um, Asian folklore, but I think Korean history and culture are not as well known in the United States, and that's not that's not to knock on anyone. I mean, if you've never been to Korea, there's no reason why you shouldn't know. But I yeah. think most people are just sort of guessing at what they see as um, 
East Asian themes without necessarily having the background. Okay, very good. And so what's your um what's your latest book? I think it's the one that completes the trilogy, right? The the Machineries of War. Yes, uh it's uh Revenant Gun. And in Revenant Gun, I take a character who died in book one and bring back another version of him, except he has amnesia. So he thinks he's 17 years old and he's just been handed an army. And he's like, oh, heck, what do I do with my life now? Oh, OK. And he's, so he thinks he's 17. But how old is he actually? That's a really complicated question. His uh, physical oh. body, has, it's science fiction, so weird things happen. Um, the mm. short answer is that his uh, personality, his abilities are that of a 400-year-old undead ghost general. Hmm. Okay, so that's part of the mystery of how old is he really. And, and I guess throughout yeah. the novel, maybe he, he realizes who he is at various points or doesn't. So Okay, well, very cool. Well, where's, um, I would guess, Amazon, but, uh, you know, where are your, are your books published? Where can people find out more and read and, you know, maybe your short stories, your novels? Where can they go? Um, for the short stories, a bunch of them are online. And if you go to my website, which is yoonhalee.com, Y-O-O-N-H-A-L-E-E.com, I have I have links to a bunch of them. So if you want to sample things for free, because free is good, you can go to the website and there are links to all of them and you can just read whatever looks interesting. And it, it, it runs the gamut from military science fiction to Fox Spirit stories to fantasy. It, it really is mm. a variety. Um, as for the novels, uh, you can get them on Amazon. You should be able to order them, hopefully, from whatever independent bookseller. I know Barnes & Noble carries them, and they've been really supportive as well. So that's another place to find them. Okay, well, that's great. Well, Ewan, thanks for coming on the line. I appreciate it, and I, I like your insight. It's great, and it's novel. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Almost Here. Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.